You're listening to the Winter Hughes Podcast with Joe and Eric Hughes. And now, here's the Hughes Brothers. Welcome in to the Win or Hughes Podcast, a Bay Area podcast that is heavily focused on what is now the Oakland A's, at least for right now. And we are hoping that that'll be the case for a while longer. We did a podcast earlier this week when news broke about the A's shifting their focus to Las Vegas. My co-host Eric Hughes joining us now. And Rick, this has kind of been a shifting story. I think initially when news broke last Wednesday that the A's were shifting their focus, there was a feeling that this was an imminent thing, that there was a finality to it. And as we've learned more and more about the process and we're able to judge some of the things that have come out since, I'm not as certain it's as final as we all initially felt on that first maybe 48 hours and that things maybe have shifted. Have you felt a shift with some of the news that's come out? And we'll go into some of those details, but has that changed a little bit for you from where you felt maybe Wednesday night to where we are getting ready for this on Monday? It still has kind of been a roller coaster of emotions, right? The news continues to develop. The news continues to come out. One of the big differences is this isn't an hour south. This is out of state. I know we've had some similarities before, but this one, if it was actually and is actually all the way true, it just is just such a bigger shift for A's fans, right? Like, I think in general, a lot of us felt like if they had moved to Fremont or if they had moved to San Jose, that it would mean like, okay, I'm going to go to less games, right? Like maybe if you go to 15 games a year, maybe you're thinking you're going to go to five, right? Just because there's a lot more travel. But I think the feeling is, is if they go to Las Vegas, then it's it's over, right? At least your experience as a fan. And I, I think, you know, not really understanding and seeing what other fans were feeling, it just made it seem like, oh, the game is over. I don't know if that's all the way the case, but it seems like that shifted a little bit. That has definitely shifted. And, you know, let's go into some of these things that have happened, the way that this went down initially this last week and how things have changed a little bit and what we know. And I think one of the the key elements here is the way that the A's are selling this right away. And that it does seem like they're in a little bit of a scramble mode because we talked about it in the last podcast. They probably overplayed their hand in trying to create some leverage and it may have gone the opposite direction. And the way you can view that is the coordinated effort in which they leaked this. And the news came out in Nevada. It was leaked with a statement from Dave Cavill and from MLB Commissioner uh, Rob Manfred. That came out together as one initial thing. So that was coordinated. They thought about it. They figured out how to put everything together and they put it out like a de facto press release, essentially. Even though it came from a news source, they provided all the information, including the quotes that was packaged. What happened since has been a way less coordinated effort because if the A's had been serious about making this shift the way that they kind of were trying to spin it now, they would have been prepared with the way that they were going to be out there with Dave Cavill doing interviews, the way that they were going to be marketing this. And I think that what you've seen is kind of a scramble mode where they've had to try to sell this a little bit uh, about who they're talking to, who they're not talking to. Because when Dave Cavill first started building Howard Terminal as this is where it's, you know, Howard Terminal or bust, he was talking to everybody. I've got something to sell. I'm here to market it, to get our story out, to really put that out there. And now that they're looking at shifting to Vegas, 
we've seen him do some interviews, a lot of them with Vegas or with, you know, MLB owned properties and, you know, places where it's going to be a relatively safe interview. There's not going to be those hard hitting follow ups. Like if he were going to do an interview and talk to somebody like Casey Pratt, who has followed this as closely as anyone, and he stayed away from those. And obviously we get why to a degree. Why do you want to go out there and sell something to a fan base that you're leaving? You don't need to anymore. But he's not really doing a lot selling this to Vegas either. He has been, you know, doing some interviews and some quotes, but not the full court press that we saw when they were trying to make Howard Terminal a thing and make Howard Terminal the driving focus, which does give me some pause. I mean, there's a lot that they're trying to do right now behind the scenes, but the way that they didn't line this up to be able to sell it and make that push doesn't make me believe it is as maybe earnest as they were trying to make this spin and trying to sell it like they have just changed their mind, Vegas is the focus, see you later, Oakland, that they were ready for this. And I don't think that they were in the way that they leaked the story and the way that Oakland just cut off talks instead of becoming what they hoped would be leverage to close the final hurdles and get Howard Terminal done. It has been a little bit of a deal breaker, but I don't think it necessarily means the deal's dead. It depends how deep you go, right? And, oh, we're going and, deep, baby. Oh, well, and, 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 and that's where the difference is, right? Of like you and maybe Casey Pratt and Brody Brazil, right? Versus somebody like me who, you know, like I, I'm a fan and I try and stay involved, but, you know, I've got another job that, you know, that it isn't my job to research sports. So this is something I do for fun. And so it seemed like they covered their bases for like somebody investigating it as deeply as I am, right? Like to see those announcements and then you go, okay, well then where are you going to play when your lease is done and you don't have a new stadium yet? And then they announce like, oh, we have an agreement to play in the minor league one. And so somebody that's digging as deep as I'm digging, we're like, oh no, this is this is bad, right? But then for the people that do more analysis of, of and know more of the business deal and to see the tweets that are like, wanting 500 million and getting 500 million are two different things, right? And, and you called me, you brought it up on the phone earlier, but the article that uh, Susan Slusser has had in, in the Chronicle, right? And so the people that are, are diving deeper and that, you know, maybe already know a little bit more about the deal, they're the ones that are kind of coming up more and saying like, oh, hey, th this foundation is not as solid as they're claiming it is. This is actually a little bit flimsy. And somebody like me, who is that kind of like, I'm not diving into this deep and they are kind of covering their bases, at least in terms of what I'm seeing. And having that gut punch, right? And having that hope just kind of like punched out of you. I'm still on that, like, do I want to recover from the gut punch just to stand up in time for the knockout punch? Or do I want to come up and just keep an eye open and go, hey, maybe this isn't all over. So it, it's still been a roller coaster, you know, for me as a fan and, and somebody who, you know, does this recreationally. You know, I, I get that because you're right. As a fan, the A's are a distraction. You just want to know about the team on the field. That's where your energy goes. You want to know about the players. You don't want to have to, you know, have learned all this real estate and political back. You know, you don't want to know the inside baseball of how all of this goes down. It's an entertainment source for you. I want to focus on the team that represents me. And then how much you want to get into that, 
that's up to you. You can become a very casual fan. You can become a very invested fan. It's up to you. But when you're thinking about losing that, how much do you want to dig into a team that you're not sure if it's going to be there? What's the investment return for you? So I get all that. Another thing that you brought up is that we saw the commissioner or the one of the Clark County commissioners send out that tweet that you're referencing about asking for 500 million is not the same as getting it. And that's another element that if the A's were as prepared to move forward with this Vegas deal as it seemed maybe early last week, we would have been hearing very quickly from unions that they've lined up and done deals with. We would have been hearing support from maybe a developer in Vegas and maybe with some political support. That hasn't happened. There hasn't been this big push and swell from a Vegas community that is hungry, or at least as hungry as the A's are hoping to get you know, the A's as their their team. Now, there's a lot of ways that this can go. It's kind of a, a scary thing is that how quickly things can change. And we saw that even from Wednesday to Friday to Monday, how quickly all of this can change with new details and new elements and new agreements that are in place. I do wonder what comes next for the A's and for Oakland, because there are scenarios where this deal in Vegas falls apart. And now Vegas is gone as leverage, something the A's have used. They were very close on the deal, according to some of the reporting. I think Casey Pratt had it at about $88 million was left. Uh, That was the gap between Oakland with the offsite infrastructure and what the A's had. And while that, you know, is a huge number for the A's on a roster basis, that's not a huge number when it comes to you know, a $6 billion to $12 billion project and keeping a team in Oakland. It's a relatively small number. I mean, easy for me to say. It's not, you know, my $88 million. But <laughs> with a deal getting that close, we talked about this on the last podcast in that John Fisher bought this team in 2004, the group with John Fisher, for what is now nothing compared to what franchises are worth. I think it was $180 million. And that Forbes in their latest evaluation of what the A's franchise is worth was like $1.2 billion. That's without having a new stadium. That's without, you know, getting this all done. If John Fisher is looking to maximize his investment from 2004, he could sell the team right now and make a windfall. But he's also aware that if he does have a stadium deal in place, even if he doesn't build that stadium, that's going to be more. You know, if you've cleared the way and you've got an agreement and everything signed off on Howard Terminal, you're handing somebody this immensely valuable property and you've done the groundwork for it. And now you're going to want them to pay you for that. And that's going to raise the value of your franchise. So I do wonder what comes next as far as if John Fisher is looking to, you know, not build a new stadium so that he can continue to own it. What is the next step for increasing the value, getting a deal done ahead of that January deadline when the A's would lose their revenue sharing if they don't have a binding agreement done to be able to move forward and sell this for the most amount of value, even if that means he does so before a stadium is actually built? It's been interesting to every day see these news stories that kind of show that, okay, maybe it's not as final as everyone thought. 
And I've also just been wondering what comes next for me as a fan, to be honest, right? Like initially, my first reaction was, I think I've probably gone to my last A's game. And, you know, I was driving with my kids in the back seat, And, you know, this has been just such a great experience that we've had since we were kids. And now as parents, we really enjoy taking our kids there. And when I was driving around with my kids and they started singing, take me out to the ball game and then, you know, root, root, root for the A's, it kind of changed a little bit to, well, no, I'm not done because, you know, even if this is getting towards the end of it, I want to get as many of these experiences as I can with my kids because I know how much they love it as well. And knowing that, you know, that there, there may not be too many of those opportunities left. So, I I have been, you know, just diving right back in. I, I haven't missed a game yet. You know, first game in the Texas series. Um, I was watching that game. I tuned on to A's cast just too late to hear uh, what Ken Korak and Vince Contronio had to say. Just I've heard incredible things about it. So it's something I'm searching for. From after that, after this news and this windfall and just what it's done to the fan base and, and, and like what you talked about was everyone finding community and just trying to be with each other and process these feelings and these emotions together. Then to see the A's go out and go get a W with Oakland across their chest, you know, was a little bit of poetic justice maybe, you know, and at least it kind of felt like that and it kind of kept that hope alive. Right. And so it, it's, it's just been, uh, you know, a roller coaster as an A's fan, not something we've expected. We've already been frustrated dealing with, you know, the baseball that we're seeing this year where the team has four wins, but before that announcement just had three wins. We've been dealing with frustration and then to go from this frustration to just like, what? It's over, you know? So it, it's just been tough as a fan. I'm kind of selfishly thinking of myself right now. Well, and you know, as a fan, we haven't had a chance to have that real community effort. I, I mean, I know, I think there was a little bit of a fan gathering at a bar after the news originally broke, but we're not going to get our first chance to get together with the A's back in town until, you know, this coming Friday. And I know the guys at Last Dive Bar put together an awesome shirt, the We Are Here shirt. Uh, I've tweeted that out. You can find it at Vegas Joe Hughes and obviously at Last Dive Bar and go check out the gear that they have there. Originally, that was going to be for the reverse boycott coming on June 13th. But now it's kind of become a symbol for the rest of this season. It's almost like when you're in a union negotiation and uh, when you're part of a union, you, you band together and you have these sayings and these slogans that become the way that you band together against some, when you're fighting against something you don't want. And we are here is becoming kind of that slogan for, you know, what's going to happen next for the A's. And originally that was for people to stop blaming A's fans for what's going on and, you know, those empty stadium photos, but it's really changed after what happened last week when the A's made their announcement late and kind of broke off talks with the city of Oakland. And it's going to be interesting because I think you're going to see those We Are Here shirts becoming, you know, you're going to see more of that at a ballpark when people go to an A's game than you will start seeing, you know, things with athletics across the chest. And it's going to start being like, hey, if I'm here, I'm here to make a statement because A's fans were put in this no-win situation. If you went to the game you are it 
in some ways endorsing the team and what they're doing and trying to leave. And you don't want to do that. You don't want to support what John Fisher and Dave Cavill are doing, shifting the focus to Vegas. You don't want to do that. And if you don't show up, well, you're feeding into the narrative that they've been trying to sell that fans don't care. So how do you find a compromise in a no-win situation? You strike out, you go to last eye bar, you get your We Are Here shirt, and you show up at the game almost as a form of protest to a degree and probably not buying premium seats because you don't want to give them that much money. But maybe you pick your spots, like going out on Friday night in a We Are Here shirt, going out on June 13th, and you're not going to go out to every game necessarily. And, you know, each fan can do what they want. But when you do, it's part of that organized effort to kind of show up together and, you know, send that message. We are here. Oakland wants this team, even if John Fisher doesn't. We keep going back to that narrative that we see on, you know, the national media and when they're covering this team. And we talked on the podcast uh, the other day about, uh, or, or maybe this was on the one that we didn't release when we talked about the the boycott. But there was a segment on ESPN, and you know, this guy Mad Dog is talking about uh, they've got to get out of Oakland, and oh, yeah. um, with the possum in the booth, he was like, they would have less pests if they were playing in the New York City subway. And Stephen A. Smith is agreeing with him, right? And this, the the coverage from even opening day, right when they take a shot of the stadium, and they're like, "Oh, it's so sad." Um, there, there's no fans there, and we know that that is kind of the narrative. When this started getting so much momentum for this reverse boycott, that you know, national thing, Sports Illustrated, New York Times, you know, these pieces are picking up and running with it. And it was just really deflating to feel like we had this grassroots movement building and that it was moving towards something then to get that news where it really felt like the rug was pulled out from under us. But it got me thinking too, like there had to be some connection. And I know we were talking about like, oh no, it's because the the A's were on the road and the, the Warriors are playing the Kings. But I do also feel like there had to be some connection to the, the way that that boycott and the attention it was getting was changing that narrative. Because when you see ESPN covering this stuff, like they know what they're talking about, right? And then to see Jordan Diaz Go and get that home run. That was the difference maker when the A's uh, went and won that game. But they click on ESPN and ESPN says it's a lead Miss Diaz who's done that. So it just shows you how closely they're following. They're not. They're just taking the low-hanging fruit, you know? And so what I am really excited for to see even with all of this stuff there still is momentum to get out there on June 13th. There still is momentum to get out there uh, Friday the 28th. And if nothing else, I'm excited to go out there and see a rock and Coliseum because we know there's not a playoff game coming in the future. Unless we get some miracle win streak going, we're going to need a lot of streaks to start happening for that to that to become a reality. I mean, that's the plot of Major League, right? We've been joking about the E's are doing the plot of Major League. How awesome would it be if the players bought in? And, you know, like they got like, they took a cutout like they did in Major League. Remember how they were like peeling pieces off of the owner? And you just put John Fisher's face on there. Same same bikini model thing and just start peeling those pieces off and that these players did come together and then forced a playoff game in Oakland. Long, long, long odds of that happening. 
But I am interested to see how this does play out with what comes next, because if the A's are going to build a new stadium, I think it's more than likely that if John Fisher is going to continue to own the A's, it's going to be in Vegas. And if John Fisher is looking to sell the team and keep that avenue open for Oakland, I think that's the way that things are going to happen because I think you'd be really hard-pressed to see John Fisher owning the A's and a deal getting done to build at Howard Terminal. And, you know, maybe this is the the breaking point where John Fisher does sell the team and we get some guys that are interested in owning a Major League Baseball team here in the Bay Area. guy like Joe Lacob, who has talked about that openly and how he didn't get it last time. And, you know, he explored a potential deal with the Angels very recently that leads to the A's finally getting an owner that they have deserved for a long time. And Joe Lacob has experience here in the Bay Area seeing, you know, a fan base that was overlooked and how much value there was when you, you know, pour the resources in there, you can reap the benefits. And I think for John Fisher, as he's looking at this deal one way or the other, he's got found money. This team is worth $1.2 billion, whether he does anything to it or not. And it's only going to go up in value no matter what he does. So to some degree, the money that he's invested is a little bit of a, he doesn't care as much about it in the sense that if he is planning to sell a team, and we don't know that yet, but if he is planning to sell the team, he's not planning to keep the debt that he accrues. That's part of the deal that gets pushed off. And he's hoping that the money that he's invested, like the $100 million the A's say that they've invested in clearing the way for Howard Terminal and getting that path forward. Well, you know what? That's a small chunk of change if all of a sudden you sell the team for $1.5 or $2 billion because you've got a deal in place and now it's on to somebody else to you know finish making that money. Also, for the A's, this is another contingent. They don't have that $500 million agreement yet in Clark County with Las Vegas. They would probably have to get a loan done to get that billion dollars that they are going to be putting forward. And without that $500 million, which they need to essentially get done by June when there's a break, and then from June, that really puts them in a bind because they've got till January. So maybe they are trying to make this push and get some leverage that way, but they need to make things happen fast in Vegas. And if they don't, what kind of leverage do they have in either city, Oakland or Vegas, to get a deal done? And does that then lead to the exploration of selling this team? I'm just hopeful that that is what it comes to, right? And that's what we've been a little bit uh, hesitant uh, to grasp is more hope, you know? And we keep saying this phrase, you know, it's the hope that kills you. And it has been, right? And so you get to choose, are you going to be hopeful or not? And as much as I hate to say this, I think I'm going to choose hope. You know, like I really don't know what else to do right now. And even just to hope that it's a, a good rest of the season, you know, along the way. And and I'm hoping that we get to see some good plays. I'm hoping that I get to keep having some some great memories with my kids and my family and, and hoping in the long term 
that he sells and that the A's stay and we get that stadium we all want, right? And the other thing is, like, I've been thinking, like, what would the reality of that be, right? Like, the baseball season, you're going to have 80 home games, right? Compared to, like, the Raiders, we're going to have, like, what, eight or nine you know, home games, that's more of like a Las Vegas residency, <laughs> right? Like right. come take a vacation, come over and see them and head on out of town. And I'm sure a lot of people that are going, it's, you know, oh, the Colts are playing the Raiders. Let's take a little Vegas trip from Indianapolis, right? And so if you think about that same kind of thing for baseball, right? Uh, the people that I meet that are from Las Vegas, you ask those people like, how often do you go to the strip? Never. They never go to the strip. Imagine if you had a place in your town that was kind of like the strip, just full of a bunch of people from out of town just going crazy. You would avoid that, right? And so then you think, well, okay, maybe Seattle's playing the uh, Las Vegas A's. You get a group. Uh, of I don't even like hearing that. I don't even like hearing the hypothetical. Right, right. <laughs> but you go take that trip. How many times are you going to take that Seattle yeah. to Las Vegas trip? How many times are you going to do that? Then you just start thinking, like, if they say they want the local support, well, first of all, I've heard so many people in Las Vegas, they go to the strip for work, right? Like, and, and that's it. And so then you think, like, who's going to be there? Well, it's going to be out-of-town fans. Or it's going to be people that get free tickets. You know, they've just went to a timeshare thing and they're coming out of their timeshare and their free gift is tickets to Benihana's or tickets to the A's. Yeah. You know, and so that's just like you have the fan base here to have Dave Cavill say that the fan base is going to be just so crucial to the success of that team. I just honestly don't see that, you know, and it goes back to that narrative, but there's there's no fans, right, that they've been pumping. Because you've got to think, just like we've been saying, like, how deep you dive into the story and how deep you dive into what actually needs to be done. If you're somebody that is maybe a lawmaker in Las Vegas and you don't actually pay attention to baseball or sports at all, yeah, you'll buy that narrative. You know, like that makes a lot of sense. Oh, show me a picture. Yeah, there's not a lot of people there. Fans bring money. I understand what you're saying, right? But it's the people that like really play baseball or really follow baseball. Like I've got a, a great buddy. He's a Dodgers fan. And he's like, how do they even try and pump that narrative? It's so clear that they don't invest in this team. Like, why would you guys go out? And that's because that's somebody that understands how to be a baseball fan, right? But when they control that narrative, and that's the narrative that they're saying to everybody, which also makes me feel like that's the reason that it came out when that reverse boycott was getting attention, because we know that's not the case. And we're trying to show everyone that's not the case. You bring up a good point, because I think it's going to be a hard sell for the A's ownership group to say, look at the financial impact we're going to have in Las Vegas and be able to sell that that it's worth a $500 million investment from Clark County up front to get that deal done, especially because from what we've seen already, there's not a deal in place, but that you're not going to be able to reap the benefits of that for 30 years if you're Clark County and get those additional taxes as the A's are looking to be paid back for that. And I just don't think there's the same kind of appetite, at least from what we've seen so far, for helping the A's 
definitely from what they did for the Raiders, but I don't think there's as much of an appetite to help the A's get a deal done there as there was from what Oakland was trying to get this deal done in this last week and hoping to, you know, finalize this and then have the A's walk away. Now, Oakland has said they're willing to kind of come back to the table and take those phone calls. They won't be used as leverage, and they're not going to negotiate with a gun at their head that, hey, if you don't do what we say, we're moving to Vegas. And I get that 100%. They're they're right about that. So it is going to be a much harder sell for the A's to say, like, we are going to be able to build up this area that already has a big entertainment draw without them. And to say that we're going to be a good community member and that you should do that because, hey, you've only got this one arena that has 20,000 seats, and then your next biggest venue is 62,000 seats. We're going to have 35. You need a middle-sized venue, don't you? For what? Mm-hmm. You know, like, And so I, I think there's going to be a lot going on in the next few weeks leading us to that June deadline. And we're going to hear some things we don't like, but a lot of that's going to be the A's trying to to scramble, basically, and push the way that this is kind of falling apart for them, I think, over the last week or so. And, you know, you brought up the team because they're part of this. We're talking about the players who have, they don't get to control what their company's doing, just the way that you don't as an employee. You want to go out there and play for the fans. We've heard from guys this week, like Jerry Blevins and Chris Bassett have already kind of come out and said that they don't quite believe that it's going to get done. It's shocking to think about it because they've got special connections with the fans in Oakland and with the community in Oakland. Jerry Blevins talked about how close the fans are when you're on that in the bullpen, which is right against the seats. It's like the first row of the seats, and then there's the bullpen. And they built those relationships with fans that are coming out there. And I you know I saw Jerry Blevins talk about that. I saw Chris Bassett talk about that. Obviously, former A's like Dave Stewart have come out and spoken about, you know, how important this team is to this community. But the team that's on the field right now, talk about reinvestment as fans. We were just starting to reinvest in this young team, which has been a struggle with the performances we've seen. But you stop looking at the win-loss record and you start checking the individual performances like we've been talking about in other podcasts. You start seeing, yeah, you know, Ruiz is doing really well. He's up there with the top rookies. Noda's getting on base. You know, I think he's the second leading on base percentage for rookies. Brett Rooker having, you know, Mason Miller, who we want to talk about. You start watching these individual performances and investing your time and energy, learning more about these guys and making those connections and vice versa. And that's where it gets hard because I, I, I we talked about the uh, home run that we saw from Jordan Diaz and the win over Texas at the beginning of that series. And I think I tweeted out, it's like, I'm still not happy about the A's, but I'm happy for Diaz getting his first career homer. He's the A's fourth ranked prospect he's getting a chance up here and you're happy to see a guy who's been working hard he has nothing to do with any of the distaste i have for the team right now and if anything that's the only reason i'm watching that's one of the things that we've that's been comforting to me at least is that a's baseball is not gone and it's still going on and a little bit i'm glad that they are away and that i'm watching on tv like i would be doing anyway and i don't feel forced that i need to go out and you know make a statement somehow or another but that that game you know to and i know i'm not a fan of the road grays but that's when you wear your city right and that's when you've got oakland on the front instead of athletics on the front and that was just such a great game to see the a's fight 
to get that homer, to to get that win there. And Langoliers to throw out three base runners in one game where base runners are stealing more bases and they're having a lot more accuracy doing it. And the throws that he had were just incredible, right? Like Jonah Hive was firing back there too. <laughs> But, you know, he all, he tried to pick Noda off at second base from home. And if it was a Langoliers throw, he probably would have had him, right? Like, I think I'm starting to wonder about Noda's speed. Is he really that fast or is he just getting a really big jump? And if they catch him <laughs> jumping, he's he's not quick. He doesn't get back quick. And so yeah. that's been, uh, you know, like, oh, yeah. well, hey there, Noda. Quick, quick um, for a no, big guy. Let's just, like, give him that. He's like, yeah, he's not yeah. fast. He's not Ruiz. He's not Estuary Ruiz. But he's quick for a big guy, you know, <laughs> Yeah, the mass will keep moving unless, of course, uh, <laughs> like the little Rubio Durazo. Yeah. Once he came, once he got physics. started, he wasn't going to stop. Yeah. <laughs> so no, it's been great, and to see Langoliers just like gunning them out there, just incredible throws. Yeah. And I remember one, you know, the guy that was diving to second. He he was past. I think it was Tony Kemp was playing second that uh, night. He was past Tony Kemp, but the way the throw came in, when Tony Kemp caught it, he tagged the guy right on the side while the guy was right. it was just in front of the bag. So yeah. Incredible throw. And so no, that was great to see. And then just with the Oakland across the chest, it was like, hey, maybe things are gonna be okay. Let's go into a Fuji game with that same kind of hope. And then we saw some athletics baseball. <laughs> It's tough, and you've been on this, and we talked about it a little bit with how Shintaro Fujinami came to the A's, why he came to the A's. You know, the A's were the only team that guaranteed him a spot in the starting rotation. He's making that transition to Japan. He wants to be a starter, and the A's were willing to make that move. They've made these kind of flexible deals before, like when they gave Ioannis Cespedes a four-year deal instead of a six-year deal so that they could get somebody that they might not have been able to lure otherwise. And they took that risk because, you know, Fujinami did have success in Japan as both a starter and a reliever, more success as a reliever, but it has not translated well early on. And I've got the numbers right here. In the first four games that Shintaro Fujinami has started this season, the A's have been outscored by 39 runs. And coming into Sunday's game, they'd already been outscored by 100 runs. So that's 39% of that has come in Shintaro Fujinami starts. It's not all him. It's guys that have come in after him as well, but the final score in those starts, 13-1, 11-0, 3-2, and then 18-3, and he's covered just 15 innings in those four starts. More than a third of that came in his best outing when he went six-plus innings, but he's covered just 15 innings in those four starts, has a 14-4-0 ERA. We've seen the good. When he's on, he cruises for two, three innings. And we've seen the bad. And, you know, a lot of his balls get hit very hard. You've been talking about it. And maybe the A's already do start looking at a different role for him, whether it's going to be kind of a flexible opener so he's still a starter or, you know, finding a role for him out of the bullpen where he has traditionally had success. The thing I think that makes it so tough is to, that he has those six days off, right? And so getting that little bit of production and also what you have to do to accommodate that by having guys mix around and move here and there to accommodate that 
and still not get that kind of production, right? Like, and it's just so taxing on the bullpen where we finally got, you know, not finally, but Sears went out and had a nice little outing the night before, right? And so finally got to give the bullpen a little bit of a rest and have them go in and do the jobs they're set up for. But also seeing that we are needing long relievers. We are needing guys that can go that. Well, if you're... And you burn two of your long relievers in Fuji start. You had to burn Adrian Martinez and James Caprillion to cover those innings before you still had to go to a position player. I just think if he has this experience as a guy that comes out of the bullpen, but he still needs to build up this stamina where he can get through multiple innings, not being able to do it with six days rest. Like, well, we can't give you more rest. So maybe it's too much rest. Maybe you need to get out there more. Maybe you need to build this stamina up. So I I don't know, but this is a results-based business, right? And in soccer, a lot of times you, you hear the people say, oh, well, that was the wrong decision. Well, you don't know if it's the right decision or the wrong decision until you see the results of that decision. And the results that we're seeing from Fuji, it's just showing that these are wrong decisions. You know what? I just got to say, it's nice talking about the actual team for a little bit. We've been talking a lot about the stadium, and I know we're kind of running up against the clock here, but it was nice just to have a little baseball conversation mixed into the things that, you know, are happening outside of that. So appreciate it, Rick. You have been listening to the Win or Hughes podcast. New episodes debut every Monday. You can find them wherever you get your podcasts, or you can find us on YouTube as well. You can also find us on Twitter at Winner Hughes, or you can find me at Vegas Joe Hughes. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the Winner Hughes podcast. Make sure to like and subscribe.